Hi, Carolyn Aarons here, Director of the Renovari Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation. Before we get to this podcast episode, I wanted to let you know that the next two-year Renovari Institute cohort begins on August 1st, and the deadline to apply is fast approaching. It's February 1st. If you've been longing to do a deeper dive into spiritual formation and maybe searching for a community in which to do it, I warmly invite you to learn more about the Renovari Institute at renovari.org slash institute. Thanks. Humans instinctually recognize that there's something holy about silence. You know, on a somber occasion, we'll have a moment of silence. And so to do it with a group of believers who are expected that God is in their midst, it is really powerful. I've heard it said that one of the contributions Renovari has made through the years is providing a haven of sorts for contemplatives, an alternative voice to the noise and hurry that seemingly engulfed our culture and often subtly and pervasively bleeding into religious life. I suspect there's something to that. What I think you'll find interesting about the following conversation I had with Carolyn Ahrens is the breadth of the contemplative tradition and the diversity of access points. We also touch on the goodness and wonder of practicing the contemplative tradition in community. And here at Renovari, Carolyn is our director of education, overseeing the two-year institute. She's also an accomplished and thoughtful musician. And she's my friend. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. Hi, Carolyn. Hey, Nate. We haven't done this for a while. We haven't. Yeah, I think the last time we did this, you made me cry. So I've had to take a little recovery time. (laughs) I will do my best. That was a good, I love that podcast. Uh, Actually, it was a a healing conversation. Mm. It was, it was good. In fact, in fact, people should just turn this one off and go find that one. (laughs) But who knows? Maybe this will work. Hey, so Brian gave us this really interesting topic to talk about contemplative stream and community. Yeah. Which just messes with me already because that disrupts the me and Jesus in a candle bit. Right. Yes. Which I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of me and Jesus in a candle, (laughs) but there is, there is something quite intriguing, isn't there, about what the contemplative stream looks like with some other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, actually, it's one of my favorite things is practicing it with, with others. Um, but first, tell me just a little bit of uh, your background, because I, I, I get the sense where you grew up, the contemplative stream was not something you were swimming in. Is, is this accurate? Well, yes and no. I mean, I, n- I never heard the word contemplative stream, or or if I did, it was probably with some suspicion in my little Baptist church. Um, but looking back, I had plenty of contemplative encounters with the living God. I, I can remember one in particular when I was, I don't know how old, maybe nine or 10 years old, in a lake on family vacation, 
somehow um, ended up, uh, you know, everybody's playing on the beach, but I was still in the lake and the sun was setting and this incredible, overwhelming sense of both the uh, God's bigness and his closeness. Um, I look back and I go, oh man, I was totally splashing around in the contemplative stream, you know, and just this uh, all overwhelming awareness of his love, which uh, I love the way your dad works with this stream in streams of living water that really it's, it's um, entering into God's love and responding to it more than anything else. So looking back, it was, it was there, but I didn't have words for it. I didn't know. I probably didn't know it was a thing I could cultivate, but then that's not even really fair to say, because then when I was a teen, I, um, I had sort of my first big crush, my first boyfriend. And when we broke up, I was heartbroken. And my um, youth pastor's wife sent me a copy of Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God. Really? And Yeah. You know, so that's way in that epicenter of the contemplative stream. And I, uh, I mean, it's a whole funny story because she had written in the card that she sent to me. Uh, she had put, uh, you know, we're praying for you and we love you. And then she had put Psalm 37, four delight in yourself and he will give you or delight in the Lord, not in yourself. <laughs> delight in the Lord. Whoa. I'm not sure where that came from. That was a good uh, slip de- there. Yeah. Carol, I like well, that one. Yeah. Apparently there's work to be done yet. Um, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when I read that, I thought, well, the desires of my heart are this. It's this, this guy. This guy. Yeah. So all I have to do is delight myself. In the I mean, it's a promise. I looked it up in the Bible and it's there. And so, uh, so you know, all I got to do is delight delight in the Lord and then he'll give me the desires of my heart. And But then I had to figure out what delighting myself in the Lord would look like. And she had given me this book, Practicing the Presence of God. And so I, I got kind of fascinated with this book and I started just trying to practice God's presence. And because I was quite a nerdy child, that meant, you know, like I would, I would literally under my breath in my junior high school be saying, okay, I'm walking to my locker now, Lord, I'm, I'm (laughs) getting my textbook, but it really turned into practicing his presence, a very sweet season of practicing his presence. And of course it turned out in, in doing that, he gave my heart new desires, which I, I think is what that verse actually means. But so, yeah, so looking back, uh, didn't have language for it, probably had some suspicion about certain aspects of it. Um, and yet I think, you know, God is so constantly inviting us, uh, into encounters with his love that you'd have, you'd have to really work hard to not have some, some time in the contemplative stream, um, and so, so looking back, yeah, it, it was there. I just didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> How about for you? Now you grew up in it. Was it like, what's it like to grow up in the foster household? Is it <laughs> all <laughs> contemplation all the time? <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you think, or it's not what people <laughs> often think. But before I tell you, I just, you, you bring up a point that I think super helpful that oftentimes we're practicing the streams and we don't have language for it. Same thing with the disciplines. And um, I mean, that shouldn't be belittled. Uh, And for me, I find it helpful to have language because it's a way to put a hook on 
a way to hang the experiences and then I can be maybe more intentional with them. But um, yeah. I think you're right on. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of some of my experiences, at, you know, like at camp, it's like, you know, went to church camp and um, they, you know, give you these very serious calls to take a verse and go out in silence and, you know, uh, and stuff would happen, you know, for uh, God, go God, figure. God was good. It's like we, we shut up long enough to, to hear things. So, hmm. yeah, I don't know that, that, I mean, my, my, my upbringing with my dad was a, I mean, it's just, well, I wrote a book about it, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it just wasn't, I mean, he was always kind of quiet and he would spend time. Um, and I guess I was, I mean, I was raised in a family of introverts. So I think sitting in my cell <laughs> right. um, was, you know, part of the process. I didn't identify it as like holy or part of the Christian life, a fundamental part of the Christian life uh, until later. It, it was mm-hmm. just uh, something I was very attracted to, but I didn't, uh, I didn't give it the weight that I do now in terms of, um, you know, it was more about for me, at least, it was more about you know behavior and morality and belief and such, and so that that stood much higher than uh, being quiet with God. For, it sounds like for both of us, it was something that happened organically, instinctually as kids, but we had to grow into our understanding of its kind of centrality and, and life with God, and mm-hmm. and maybe that's appropriate, like as you know, it maybe be. yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe if if as children we told them now it's very important that you <laughs> have organic encounters with God, that would ruin the whole thing, you know. So I don't know, it's interesting. But but it's so helpful into adulthood. You know, maybe that's that thing that wonder comes naturally to us as kids. And then as, as adults, we have to learn to cultivate it and and be intentional, you know, uh to create space and openness for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's good and right that, that we grow into it. Yeah. I want to ask you about that. And I know this comes up all the time with um, the contemplative stream, but how do, how does it and does it not map on to being an introvert? And, I, and I'm asking this as an introvert. Um, I think part of my introversion is that I'm in my head all the time. Like, again, going back to childhood, I was famous for walking into posts and things on the way home because I would be so, I mean, it's just tragic. I'd be so in my head, you know, uh, that I would bang into things, but I would say that in my headness, uh, you know, I love, I love being by myself. I like people too, but I like being by myself. I like being alone with my thoughts, but that's actually been a challenge to me in terms of, uh, swimming well in the contemplative stream, because, I can have, you can give me all the silence in the world externally, but creating space inwardly and, and stilling those thoughts is a super big challenge for me. So I, so I'm an introvert, but I wouldn't say that silent inward silence comes naturally to me. What's been your experience with that? Right. So the chatter is still there, even, even though the external doesn't mean the chatters. And it's not even like, it's not necessarily like negative chatter. It's not like, you know, um, crazy negative self-talk or, you know, anything like that, but it's just still me doing all the peddling. Mm -hmm. 
you know, even, even in my encounter with God, like it's me. Um, uh, yeah, it's just really hard for me to get my, my thoughts to take them captive enough that God can give me a new thought, you know, or something that isn't even a thought, <laughs> something that's something else, another kind of encounter besides a cognitive one. Yeah. But anyway, what, yeah. What's it like for you? That's an interesting question. Cause as someone who I used to score off the charts introvert, and hmm. now I'm much more in the middle and I'll blame my family for, for such. Um, but I almost think that the categories aren't necessarily helpful. I mean, you know, introvert, extrovert, you get energy from being alone. You get energy from being with people. Um, I, I just wonder if they're as uh, kind of hard fast, because for me, I can be very extroverted uh, with the right person. If someone I hum well with and just, mm -hmm. you know, get along with, I can be, you know, I can be around my wife for days nonstop and and not be exhausted whereas I can be around another <laughs> person good. for 10 minutes and I'm ready to you know <laughs> pull my hair out um yeah so and the other thing that I'd say is that we can use those categories as a as a kind of an excuse or a, a way to justify you know well I'm, I'm introverted so you know right. I don't I don't do this or that well and conversely I've heard extroverts say the contemplative stream is not for me because not I'm an extrovert. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like oh, let it. when in when in a sense I think it's more for them. Like yeah, um, they might benefit more from than anyone else. Yeah, so I don't know. I think those labels can not necessarily always be helpful. You mentioned how uh, these things can be organic, and, and as kids, we both kind of had a great organic experiences. And it reminds me of Lacey Borgo's work. Yeah. Did you have the conversation with her about your first encounters with God a few years ago? I didn't. I know she was uh, was asking people about that, uh, and I'd love to hear. Has she compiled that and offered that anywhere? Or well, it's it's funny you should ask. Um, with her, her book coming out with Spiritual yeah. Direction with Children, um, I'm going to do a series of interviews with her, and we're going to uh, try and release the videos of her asking the, the ministry team about their encounters. Um, because they were really, best I could tell, they were sweet. But one of the things she told me, and let me see if I can get this right, is that in all her interviews, I think she interviewed lots of people, um, the themes emerged of people's first encounters or awareness of God um, were oftentimes when they were alone and oftentimes related to nature. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And how often God will speak through the created world. You know, the, the last year or so, I've kind of gotten back into running and... Um, and I use the term very loosely, <laughs> not a very natural runner, but I have, I, I <laughs> run into poles I, and such. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. There's always that <laughs> risk. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not exactly poetry in motion, but um, I was trying to figure out why is running, why is it feeding my soul so much? And I realized about halfway into the year, it's because I'm going outside. You know, so much of my work is inside and I love it. I'm a bookish person and, you know, lots of good things to do inside. But just going outside, uh, it creates a different kind of space. And I think for me, it's an important part of being in the contemplative stream is just getting out into God's world and 
drinking it in a little bit. Yeah. I, my dad will sometimes say about nature obeys the will of the father. Mm. It's affected by the fall, but it's doing what God is intending it to do, right? Mm. Growing and dying and such. Um, and, and so it, it's a little awkward, but sometimes they'll make the comment of let's go spend a little time in the will of the father. And yeah. I actually have a really hard time not equating my spiritual life with nature. And hmm. not, I'm not saying worshiping nature by any means, but that um, those are the spaces where I tend to encounter God. Or just, not, I, I don't know if I'd even say encounter, but even just sitting outside. Just being with, yeah. Well, tell me, what are some practices you've been discovering, encountering, finding life in, in the last few years? I, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, where it, the start of a new year, a new decade, and things. Just trying to pay attention. I know some people are really anti, you know, resolutions and that kind of thing. But I, I do think a reset is a great time to kind of evaluate. Okay, what's giving life? Um, what's taking life? And when I've been looking at that, I've been thinking. I think there are three, uh, three, three things among many possibilities, uh, that are especially giving me life in this stream. The first one is just, um, praying the scripture and there's a, a devotional I love. It's called seeking God's face. Have you ever seen that one? It's, uh, it's, it's the subtitle is praying with the Bible through the year. And it's just, it's kind of loosely based on the lectionary, but you don't have to like flip around and find where you're supposed to be. You can just follow it. Um, uh, and it, and it just, uh, it's just a couple of pages of, of scripture kind of laid out as invitation, then a Psalm, then a new Testament reading, then like a prompt to just do the reading again and see what's kind of shimmering for you. And then, um, some free prayer suggestions, then a really short written prayer, and then a, a, a short scriptural blessing. It's it's that sounded like a lot, but I it can take anywhere from five to thirty minutes, depending on how much uh, time I have. But it's just totally set up for um, for prayer and space and listening, uh, but centered in scripture, which really brings my worlds together really well for me. So that has been super life-giving, praying the scriptures. The second thing is um, trying to do the examine each day. Um, and I'm I'm still hit and miss with it, but boy, when I do it, it is so life-giving. And I'm sure most people listening are familiar with the examine, but it's just kind of a reviewing the day um, with the Lord, but it's funny. I I had printed out the steps of it from, um, I really like Timothy Gallagher's book, the examine prayer. Uh, there's tons of great books on the examine, but I especially like his and, um, he's, he has it as this kind of five step process. So I do like to light a candle <laughs> or go outside or the, the best of all possible worlds is to light a candle outside. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but it's funny. There's five steps to it, but even before step one is this thing he calls uh, transition, which is just to get ready to do it. And the transition is, I become aware of the love with which God looks upon me as I begin this examine. 
And sometimes I sit down, light a candle, start at the transition, and I can't get past the transition because it's so awesome to stop in the middle of my day and just become of the become aware of the love with which God looks upon me as I begin this exam. It's just oh, it's so sweet. And then if I can get past that stage, then there's you know thankfulness, and then petition, and then reviewing the day for places where I could see, you know, for consolation and desolation, places where I could see God moving, places where I could see my own heart moving away. Maybe maybe asking God to show me one thing that I might want to move in a different direction on. Um, but I love it. I love it. I love it. And so I'm really hoping this year um, to get more more consistent with it because I it's hard to find the exact right time of day to do it because you really need some uninterrupted time. So I'm still experimenting with time of the day, but it's such a, oh, it's such a life-giving practice. That's the second one. And then the third one is uh, silence. Like I was saying earlier, I, I love quiet. I love being left to my own thoughts, but I struggle with getting past my own thoughts, you know, with stilling even my own thoughts. And I also struggle with um, encounters with God that are wordless. I, I'm, I'm such a word-oriented person, or oriented person that uh, if I don't have words for something, it's like it doesn't exist. And yet I have really felt God inviting me over the last few years into encounters with him that are pre-linguistic or post-linguistic, I don't know. There's <laughs> something other than what you could put in, in words, you know, like a, a different part of the brain, a different part of the self, a different part of... Um, so that is like a huge area of um, growth and invitation for me, I think. Um, and it's two things working against, against it for me in my own personality. One is that this struggle that if I don't have words for something, it feels like it didn't happen. And the other is my drive for productivity. So, you know, I've heard both you and your dad and lots of other folks use that phrase, waste time for God. And I have like almost like a physical like <laughs> reaction to up. it. Like, yeah, like, oh, time is so short and precious. And, and um, but I've, but I, all my resistance to that, I, I sense that there's an invitation there to for encounter with God that doesn't have to tick a box or result in a breakthrough uh, or be something that I can put into uh, uh, words and then it, you know write about or teach about. Um, so there is some sort Kiss of invitation <laughs> there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, I don't need to kiss and tell. I can just kiss. Um, so, yeah, and that's where, um, you know, you started this conversation uh, mentioning contemplation and community really counterintuitively. Some of my best help and coaching in learning to encounter God in silence has come with other people, which is kind of crazy. So how about you, Nate? What are what's given you life in this stream? It's funny because I'm like almost exact opposite 
Really? You. you know, I know the steps and structures are super helpful for lots of people. And so I don't want to take away from that. But for me, it just, it feels so stifling. It's not helpful. And, and I mean, you know, sometimes I guess, but now to me, it's, it, it'd be a more kind of free flowing, you know, uh, taking a walk um, on the bike. Um, and I don't, I don't, I find I say very few words. Sometimes I'll just be a sentence or two oftentimes out loud and then a lot of wordless um, for one reason or another. The other space I've found, this may sound a little weird for contemplative tradition, is um, in in the woodshop. So I've, hmm. I've really developed in the last year or two uh, woodworking. And um, boy, there's something really special about getting out there and just I don't know, sanding something or cutting something, and and it it's it can be. It's not always. Sometimes I play music and just you know or podcast, mm-hmm. but oftentimes it's just a a prayerful, creative space. And hmm. you know, even even it's embarrassing to say, but um, you know, what should I do with this piece of wood? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and and making these connections to Jesus as a carpenter and. You know. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I've discovered this year that would fit into this stream, or, or I guess last year, is uh, writing my prayers, and yeah. really have found that helpful to, um, and and not as a, a specific time. I mean, I might, you know, oh, I need to, you know, or I'm wanting to to pray and you know get get a book out and write, but um, it's often very spontaneous. So you know, keeping a book in my pocket and um, oh. Hey, and then, you know, writing a, a prayer and doing that throughout the day. Um, and I've just found that really, really life-giving. Not even for reference. I, I guess people will do that in reference back. Um, right. I actually don't, very seldom do I read. Um, but there's something about writing it that just, it, it helps me remember, helps me lean into it. And then, of course, the wonder of the uh, kind of insights or answers or revelations that get revealed, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like the the psalmist, how there's always that shift, that turn of a movement. So I would think, uh, at any rate, so yeah, those are, those are some pieces. I, been... I think uh, those are fascinating. The, first of all, the, the, how the very act of writing does something. I think yeah. that's like another way of embodying prayer. We've been talking a lot at the Renovar Institute about typed notes versus handwritten notes Mm. and how like handwriting your notes is just a very different process. So it makes sense to me that writing out your prayers, even if you never go back and look at what you wrote, is a more embodied practice in some ways or one one way to embody prayer. So I think that's really cool. And I think the I think your workshop prayer practice is super intriguing for a couple of reasons. It makes me think about, uh, you know how C.S. Lewis talks about like lovers sit across from each other and they look in each other's eyes, but friends work on something together and, and look outward. And, um, and so they're not looking in each other's eyes. They're looking at something they're working on together. And, and I think usually in the contemplative stream, we talk about looking, you know, something closer to the lover metaphor. Uh, but sometimes that's um, and that's beautiful and something certainly something to to play with and experiment with and be open to. But I also love the picture of cultivating our friendship with God by working on something together with Him. 
And I think that that, that can be a really sweet swim in the contemplative stream too. It's probably, you know, incarnational stream and all, all the other streams as well. <laughs> it's wonderful how they, they splash into each other, but you, you know, my, my husband's a high school counselor and he talks about always having a third thing in the room when there are hard things to talk about with a kid. Oh, and so right. he, right. So yeah. he, he, uh, he has this awesome fish tank so that the two of them can look at the fish tank and then the conversation could start yeah. to happen in this kind of less self-conscious way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think that's a beautiful picture of you working with God in the workshop on the, on a third thing mm. uh, and your, and your friendship uh, growing. Um, I do, yeah, I think that's super cool. And, you know, bonus points, if it can be a creative thing, because I think there's something really special about co-creating with God. Mm-hmm. Um but I, you know, and I think that's probably why people, a lot of people pray best in their garden or, uh, you know, working, working on some kind of task where they're doing something, but it doesn't take all your concentration. Right. Like it, it'd be hard to do like brain surgery. You know, I, I actually really hope that brain surgeons are also praying as they are doing their brain surgery. But anyways, I think, you know what I mean? Like just this, uh, I really love the idea of some sometimes there's a place for a third thing to yeah. cultivate like, our friendship, like driving the car. Totally, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's you know. Also, when I always get any, you know, I'm a songwriter, and that's that's usually when song ideas come too. Is when you're doing something that is you're not doing nothing, but you can kind of be on autopilot with it, and um, yeah, it creates space in an interesting kind of way. So I love that. I love that picture. And I, and I think probably Jesus does have a special fondness for talking to you while you're doing carpentry. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that I hadn't thought about it. That's helpful. That's helpful. I reminded me of a a quote, Um, you you know, Dallas built this, you know, little house on their property and I guess he liked to, um, but the, I think it was something to the effect of it's, it's never just you and the hammer. Um, Mm, I love it. I think a big barrier for people oftentimes with this tradition and with, you know, silence or practices that kind of still some of the noise is a dependence upon a response. And so, you know, we mentioned camp and, you know, these things mm-hmm. happen or, um, but I think it's a movement of maturity to not become dependent upon an insight or a, a, a warm feeling or, you know, some yeah. sort of, um, but to be kind of divorced from outcomes that the point is to be with God, um, not to, you know, get a cookie or something. And and that's, that has been, I was kind of going back to something I was saying earlier, one of the biggest challenges for me is like, um, like spiritual ambition or feeling like, um, well, if I haven't even, even like a kind of insecurity that I used to have when I would go into silence with God of like, if I don't hear something or, you know, um, get some kind of feeling, then, (laughs) um, you know, maybe he doesn't, I don't know if I would say that he doesn't love me as much as someone else who got a warm fuzzy that day, but like I've somehow failed in the, mm-hmm. in the assignment, you know, and that's where the, just it's wasting, about you, right. Well, yeah. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. No, I know yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I very much 
feel like that has been the biggest invitation for me the last couple of years is it really is to just spend time with God, like you said, divorce from outcomes. And actually that takes me right to the community piece because the the one of the most helpful entry points into that kind of journey for me was with a spiritual director. So that's the first time with somebody else in the room. And the biggest role, I have a wonderful spiritual director, but the main thing she has done for me is like made a space for me to be silent. Like we, we, um, often on my entire direction session almost is in silence together. Uh, especially when we were starting, because I really needed that. I really needed someone to help me be okay with sitting in silence and nothing much happening. And I mean, sometimes something would, I, I actually would feel like I, the Lord really illuminated something for me or really felt a touch for him. But a lot of times I was like, well, we just sat in <laughs> silence and in openness. And I, you know, I knew the Lord was with us, but I couldn't particularly identify any, you know, again, an outcome. But what I would notice is that I would do that and I'd think, well, you know, I'd have maybe, maybe kind of a vague sense of disappointment at the end of it. Um, but thankfulness too, but just kind of like, oh, you know, and then I get in my car, but then I would notice the next few days I was operating from a center and a uh, a sense of just kind of quiet connection with the Lord that was, yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, as so yeah, that's been kind of a beautiful gift, but it's taken another person, someone to just sit and hold the space with me and just sort of reassure me. And it's like making a, you know, making an appointment to meet a buddy at the gym, you're much more likely to go to the gym. In some ways, my spiritual director has been my silence gym buddy. Um, <laughs> and and that's, that was my first little taste of silence and community. And then my second, well, maybe a later one um, has been, you know, um, people might not know that the Renovari staff, we all work different places. You're in Florida, I'm in Vancouver, and everybody's different places. Um, but every morning for me, midday for you, uh, we get on Zoom and we meet to pray. And we started uh, very often on Zoom just being silent together in prayer. We'd read a psalm. And I got to tell you, Nate, when we first started doing that, it was the most painful, awkward thing. I'm like, why are we sitting together in silence? <laughs> what is happening? There's no one being led to pray aloud, you know? And then uh, I, because I love you guys and trust you guys, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with this. And I started to learn what an invitation it is to sit with brothers and sisters quietly, silently together with the Lord. So thank you for that. It's been, <laughs> it's been very interesting. Yeah, It's become one of my favorite practices to sit in silence with others. Um, and, and, but I do know the, the, the tension, um, years ago I was on staff at a, at a church and part of my, um, hours was we spent, um, two hours praying and there was three of us and, and we would be in the sanctuary and, oh my goodness, are you serious? Like, we're going to come on. Like, and, and, uh, I mean, sometimes I'd fall asleep and sometimes, I mean, it was like a root canal, like, um, but after about a year, 
huh. it became like the highlight of my week. Um, yeah. It was just to be with others. And, and I've noticed that there is something different because I, I like silence by myself and I, I love that. But when I'm with others, um, it's something different. And, and I used to do this, I, I probably talked about it on the podcast before about at the university when I would start all my classes in silence and sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for 20. And, oh, it was so rich. So the, with Burning Heart, the listening groups yeah. oftentimes have a lot of collective silence. And, and someone, I was talking to someone about how uh, helpful and special I found it to be with others in silence before God. And they, they gave this picture that I absolutely love, and I think it answers some of that, of two or more gathered. And can't mm-hmm. you just picture God smiling? There's mm-hmm. my kids, and they're just like, they're getting together just to be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind, of, kind of sensing God's delight, uh, delight in that. Um, but it can be uncomfortable, and if you're not familiar with it, or if you know we are so outcome uh, obsessed yeah. that that it is, uh, it certainly can feel difficult. Well, I, I love that you said you know after about a year because <laughs> I because <think, laughs> I think you know we one of our favorite expressions is you know praise you can not as you can't, and that's very right. You know if there's something that's not giving you life tweak it or ask God, you know, okay, what's going on here? But you do have to give things like a serious try before you decide that you can't do them or they don't work or there's no life in them. Um, And so I just think that's crazy (laughs) that it took, you know, I mean, it's crazily instructive that, that it took a year for you to really live into the gift of it. And it's been a similar process uh, for me, with with our staff, with our my spiritual director uh, at the Renovari Institute, the gift of being uh, in a group uh, in silence. Last summer, I was um, speaking at a church in South Africa, Mosaic, and they bake extended periods of silence right into their service, and and it there's like this holy weight to it because it could be like a couple thousand people more. Um, and when you think about it, like the humans instinctually recognize that there's something holy about silence because we, when we, you know, on a somber occasion, we'll have a moment of silence and, and we'll all feel the weight of it. And, um, and so to do it with a group of believers who are expected that God is in their midst, there is like, it is really powerful, but it does take some practice and some getting used to it. And so I would, I would want to encourage anyone listening who, you know, tried it for five minutes and said that was awful, you know, well, you're on track. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and try, starting with two, some more. starting with two hours is just, that's just dumb. Yeah. Like that's, that's not. kind of intense. Yeah. How do you experience this stream uh, in the Institute? Yeah, so, well, it's the Renovari Institute, I would say, uh, I know how, I know we try not to privilege any of the streams. And and in fact, um, that we've kind of retooled a little bit the second year of the Institute to actually intentionally work our way through all six streams so that we don't just do the contemplative stream, <laughs> but for sure the whole. It is the God's whole... favorite, though. I well, mean, let's just be it's... clear. 
<laughs> I think it, I think it, the case can be made that, um, you know, I'm sure this has been discussed before. It, it, your dad was very wise to put it first in his book and that it, it creates kind of a holding space for all the, foundation, all the other yeah. streams. Yeah. And, um, so the River Institute is a very contemplative place in a really wonderful way. It's also a very social place. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to see how those things go together. And so um, we cultivate, uh, I don't know if people know, people that go through the Institute, a lot of it is online and virtual. And then um, for four one-week stints over the two years, we come together and we have uh, an intensive time of both teaching and worship and practice and silence uh, together. Um, and so we're reading and exploring the stream a lot. We're, we're offering monthly practices, a lot of which are uh, deep dives into the contemplative stream. Um, but I love when we're together, uh, our times of silence together are really precious. And in fact, I had a, I had a student a former student come join us for one of our residencies and he challenged me because, because I'm a musician, I very often in our worship times will play some acoustic guitar just as kind of a, a backdrop. And he said, I love the guitar, but there's gotta also be times when it's just completely, we have a chance to just completely be silent together. So we're trying to be really mindful of that. And it's, it's really fun to watch, um, a Renovari Institute student's journey into silence. Some students come in and they've had lots of practices of silence in their life. So this is just another great opportunity to practice it. Others of them are terrified, <laughs> terrified of the silence. And we always at the end of each week um, or towards the end of each week, we have a 24 hour silent retreat. Uh, so this is more individual, although we see each other, we wave at each other, we eat together in silence. Um, very often we'll do a buddy system where you know at least one other um, student is specifically praying for you and you for them. Um, but it's it's amazing to watch how even, even with the, almost with no exception, even the students who dreaded it, uh, and probably actually especially the students yeah. who dreaded it, I dreaded it the first week by the end of the program. They're like, can we, is there any way to make the silent retreat longer? Because <laughs> it just ends up being such a, such a gift. Um, but there is something really beautiful about uh, knowing that you're not alone in it and um, doing it together. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I've noticed during that time at the Institute that some students will um, like sitting on a couch together or, you know, be in the same room reading or, you know, journaling or something, but they're, you know, in silence. And I thought it was kind of beautiful, the, um, the kind of friendship or the support in that. Of course, others are, you know, off by themselves, but. Yeah. And others are off yakking if it's not during the, the um, silent time. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, what's the Bonhoeffer quote about, you know, the one who can't stand to be in silence needs to be in silence and the one who can't stand to be in community needs, needs to, be to be in community, yeah, you know, right. like, yeah. yeah, you know, there's, and, and that's actually one of the beautiful things about the Institute is that there's opportunities to stretch. <laughs> you um, will be uncomfortable. In both in <laughs> yes. We don't discriminate. In uncomfortable directions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's blessing in that. Hey, you guys have a new cohort starting soon. Yes. Phoenix. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. We uh, so every year we start a new group of forty-five, and we attach that group to a particular city. So you don't have to be from that city. In fact, we have people from all over the world, but that city is where we're going to be having the those four week-long residencies. So we have, yeah, 2020 to 2022 is going to be uh, in Phoenix. Uh, the Franciscan Renewal Center is where the residencies will be. Um, the program will start August 1st, but the the deadline to apply for it is coming up. So this is always a very exciting time. I got to tell you, every year we go through the interviews and we think, well, we have now met all of God's finest. Like seriously, <laughs> the people that apply for this thing are so amazing. We think that's it. We've, we've exhausted the pool. And then the next year, you know, the spirit prompts another group and it's just, oh, it's so good for my own faith to see who, uh, what the Lord is doing in people's lives. So yeah, our deadline uh, for this year's cohort is uh, February 1st. Oh. And, uh, and then we'll begin the the interview process and the discernment process and see what God knits together. It's pretty exciting. I had a thought on that and, and yeah. you can help me out with it, but um, it's not unusual to hear people who are thinking about applying to the Institute, but they're really intimidated by the mm. academic or the, you know, the head. I'm not, I, haven't, I don't have an MDiv. I'm not a you right. know, pastor. Do you notice that where people that have this incredible hunger and they're wanting to spend the time, but they're kind of intimidated by the whole endeavor? Yeah, I think that's common even for people that have applied and been accepted. I think the first residency, there's a lot of, you know, they read each other's little background <laughs> bios and and I always have to send out a note about like there's a reason you're here. It's it, you know, because they'll look at everyone else's story and think, "Oh, their lives have been amazing." And um uh so I would just, yeah, we just encourage people to set that completely aside and pay attention to what the spirit is inviting you to. And if it happens to be this, to pay attention to that, it is robust. Like it is, it is a, um, a challenging program. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes thought. Um, but it doesn't take a, a PhD. Um, we do have PhDs in the program, but we also have people that, um, don't have any graduate schooling and haven't been to school for a really, really, really long time. Um, so it kind of, the program, um, it's so much more about that conversation about the growth of the soul and about cultivating our friendship with, with Jesus. And it does give you a chance to roll up your sleeves, but um, the hunger is the primary qualification. Such a good program. Carolyn, delightful as always. Thank you, Nate. Great talking with you. You can be out there wordlessly contemplating. I'll be over here wordfully <laughs> contemplating and we'll help each other as we grow with God. Sounds good. Well, there you have it. Always have good exchanges with Carolyn. Thanks for listening and have a great week.